So today I want to talk about my first Vipassana meditation experience where I went for 10 days without speaking, without my phone, the internet, reading or writing, no music or yoga, working out, no eye contact or physical contact or any contact with the outside world. I first heard about this from my friend Asmin, and when she first told me, I was kind of like, mm, "That's not for me. I don't think I can. I don't think I can do it. I'll for sure, go insane. Um, there's no way." And then I heard about it from a few other friends on my travels, and I think there are many different meditation retreats or workshops or techniques because. People say different things, like some of them you are allowed to write journals and keep notes and or do walking meditations and some are, you know, three days or one day, but um, the Vipassana one, you have to do the first one on a 10-day meditation. So today I'm only speaking um, to my own experience with the Vipassana technique. My life for the past year or so has been a bit unusual. Basically, um, for those who don't know me, I've always had a dream to have a hostel. Um, why that is, is for another episode. Um, so around February last year, I decided to do something about it. And I spent nine months traveling to some of the best hostels in the world for research. And these are hostels that are on average ranked about 9.3 out of 10 and some of them have you know 5,000 plus reviews and some of these hostels were just about one month old so I volunteered and worked and even consulted at some of these hostels I chatted with the owners, managers, staff, guests um, took extensive notes about what makes them the best of the best and how I would do things differently if there were things I would improve. So it was basically like an undercover hostel critic. <laughs> um, I kept all the notes to myself, but maybe I'll share them slowly. Um, about a month and a half ago, I returned home to sleep on all of that in my own bed. Um, hoping for the mud to settle and the water to clear, so to speak. And during my second last month of travels, one of my best friends, Sean, and his fiance Inga, joined in on my travels in Taiwan. And Inga was going on a 10-day Vipassana meditation course in Taiwan during her trip. So I spent a lot of time with Inga both before and after her meditation so I kind of like witnessed her, her, her life. Um, and I asked her a lot of questions. And again, everyone who's, who's done it have always said great things about it. Um, even though everybody has different experiences, um, everyone said like, you should just do it. So I signed up in March and was waitlisted for a course in July in Toronto, Canada, where I'm from slash live. And I guess people get cold feet or, you know, life happens. So a spot opens up and I get 
accepted about three days before the course started. I was kind of secretly hoping I wouldn't get accepted because I was terrified about going. Um, but of course I was excited. So I guess the universe spoke and um, on day zero, which is the registration day, I get a ride up to the Vipassana Center, which is a really quiet and peaceful place um, in northern Ontario. It's about an hour drive from Toronto. And in the car, there's two fellow students uh, attending the course. One of them was going on her third sit or third time and the other had sat for seven times and she was going to serve so in the car they explained to me the terms sit and serve so to sit is where you are meditating for the duration of the course and to serve is where you're volunteering for the course so getting the places ready cooking the meals etc we arrive at the vipassana center and get settled into our rooms and fill out a registration form, you know, the standard like name address. And on the back of the page is a space to tell them about your life. So family, work experiences, crisis and traumas. Apparently it's to help the teacher know kind of who's in the room. And I wrote at the end of that section that instead of having midlife or even quarter life crisis, like normal person would I usually have a crisis about every five years um, about what to do with my life so we get um, dinner that day and briefed on how the next 10 days will go um, you know the schedules and the rules and regulations all the people who attend Vipassana has to take five precepts for the duration of the course, which are to abstain from killing any living creatures, to abstain from stealing, from all sexual activity, from telling lies, and from all intoxicants, so drugs, uh, alcohol, etc. And we'll get two vegetarian meals a day, breakfast and lunch, with tea and fruits as dinner. And the day starts at 4 a.m. and ends around 9, 9.30 p.m. So that night, all the students gather in the meditation hall for the first meditation. And that was the beginning of noble silence. So at this point, you're, you can't talk anymore. Five seconds into this, an audio recording of chanting comes on. And it's the voice of teacher Goenka. And it was just so shocking to me because I'm not religious and I'm you know, not normally used to listening to chants. And it was just, um, I guess going into the meditation, I have very little experience with meditation. I've tried you know, apps like Headspace and Calm and I've done guided meditation with David G on Spotify or YouTube um, and I've done yoga for a couple years but that's kind of about it so when this sound came on which was super intense and and deep and vibrating and loud um, I immediately opened my eyes and was looking around the room to see if anybody else was 
you know, shocked by this or reacting to it. And nobody was, everybody was sitting so calmly with their eyes closed. And I was apparently the only one. So the daily schedule is pretty much the same every day for 10 days. 4 a.m. is the morning wake-up call. It's a bell. Um, 4.30 to 6.30, you're supposed to meditate in the hall or your own room, which apparently Inga told me is code for taking a nap. (laughs) Um, 6.30 to 8 is breakfast break, and 8 to 9 a.m. is group meditation in the hall, which is mandatory. So there are about four group meditations throughout the day and you also get two opportunities to ask the assistant teachers questions so either five minute private interviews or after the last meditation at 9 p.m and that's when you can talk Um, I mean you still can talk to the course manager about logistics like you know if you're cold and need an extra blanket at night you you can talk you just can't talk to fellow students so I know this sounds like very cult-ish, but um, you'll see why um, when you do it. So day one arrives. Um, I open my eyes and it's 7.55. Oops. Um, I mean, no surprises there though. (laughs) Because any one of my friends and those that have travel with me know that to say that I'm not a morning person is an understatement basically I'm not fully functional until about like 10 10 30 a.m so on this first day I had slept through the morning bell the gong the alarm clock and breakfast the meditation hall is about five minute walk from my cabin so I just put pants on And I head straight to the hall. So my cabin, and I think I was very lucky to have been assigned a small cabin, which is a private room that's joined with another room of the same kind, um, but with a solid wall between us. Whereas most other students live in residences, which are either private or shared room with a curtain in the middle. So it's funny, it's as if they knew I was a princess. So, uh, we don't have washrooms in the cabin, so we use the ones in the residence. So what separates my room with the outside world is just one door. When you open it, you're outside. Like There's no hallways or corridors or anything else. So I'm out the door and I'm speed walking because you're not allowed to jog. And the sun is beaming down on my face. So I'm squinting (laughs) and I'm walking really fast. You can just imagine I literally just rolled out of bed. (laughs) There's no time for anything else. (laughs) Thank God, like there's nobody else around because everybody was already in class in the meditation hall with their eyes closed. So nobody saw. Uh, So I make my way as quickly and as quietly as possible. And I think because I felt so guilty for failing myself on the first day that I gave it 150% effort that morning. So I plopped down on my mat and I didn't move for one bit for the whole hour. One of my favorite things to do in the meditation center was taking walks in the forest. 
the woman's side, so the men and women are segregated the entire time. The woman's side, we get a walking path in the woods, and it's just wonderful. I mean, you have nothing else to do, nowhere else to be, and everything to explore. One of the most magical moments is when the wind blows, <laughs> the trees start dancing slowly rustling their leaves and sway back and forth into other trees starting like a symphony orchestra from one side of the forest like crescendoing towards me and leaving <laughs> I found this beautiful leaf in the shape of a heart with perfect veins from the stem and a little bit missing on the right side it was just so imperfectly perfect one day it rained, so the water drops lined up neatly along the leaves and in little water droplet spheres. I found a thin tree that just had one branch with a few leaves, which is so different from any other tree I've seen, and just, just being itself. Every day from noon to early afternoon, the sunlight shines through the treetops. I look up at the different shades of green, at the blue skies, watching the clouds morph into ever-changing shapes. One time in the forest, just as the wind picked up, normally it's the taller and outer trees that, that dance, I was walking on this path where the sun shines perfectly at an angle on the tree trunks ahead of me, almost like a stage. And then I see this baby tree right under one of the spotlights and it started to wave its leaves and dance to the wind. It was just the cutest thing. <laughs> I would watch things like this for minutes, for hours, no, not hours, minutes. I was high on life <laughs> and certainly I wasn't the only one. There was a tree-hugging, wild raspberry-eating Russian lady. Ladies who walked bare feet in the forest, which I tried for two seconds and that was my limit. Ones who smelled every flower in the vicinity. Oh, that was me. <laughs> just, just normal, totally normal human beings doing totally normal things. <laughs> or maybe this is what happens to you when you remove things in life. I started thinking, when was the last time I lived like this? Probably when I was a kid before the internet existed. I was watching for a good 10 minutes a certain like blue-green spider who had the same outfit as me that day um, walk and kind of look around standing like almost like a human would. And I was watching a little green worm hesitantly deciding to leave its leaf for the bench table for another leaf. There were moments where my heart melted when a mini squirrel lingered around me for a few seconds. And when I saw wild bunnies, birds, I mean, none of these things did anything particularly interesting, but we just all existed. Then, of course, there are people who are speed walking every chance they get 
as a form of exercise, I assume, because walking is the only thing allowed. Um, when these people are walking, they're not wondering. They're, you know, focused and serious, and you can feel that intensity when they walk by you. It's like this wind just <laughs> like hits your face. Of course, there were days where, when I also walked really fast or felt tense, um, every day was different. The following morning, I went exploring the forest again, and I saw this yellow roundish thing on the ground, and I thought, oh, maybe it's a fruit that fell from the tree. So I nudged it with my foot, and then I realized I had just decapitated a mushroom. A wave of guilt comes onto me. I wasn't supposed to kill any living creatures. Does mushrooms count? <laughs> I felt so bad. I felt terrible. I spent the next hours looking for other or more mushrooms in the forest and they were all brown, black, and dead. So for a few days, I was apologizing profusely to this yellow mushroom and it was I was sure it was the only one of its kind in the forest and had killed it. Speaking from abstaining from killing living creatures, the night of day three, there was a mosquito in my room. You know those electrocuting tennis rackets they sell in Asia and on Amazon where you swat against the bug and it just zaps and kills them? So instead of that, um, the Vipassana Center has bug relocators which is like a barrel that has a switch and you suck up the bug into the barrel and then you go outside and like spit it out into the, into the wild. But such tools were only available in the residences and my cabin didn't have one. So I had to make my own. <laughs> this involved um, bottle caps, a broom and moving furniture for like 30 minutes. I'm sure my cabin mate on the other side was like, what the hell is going on? Uh, in the end, when I released this mosquito, I saw that it was injured because I had, you know, tried to not kill it. It's so hard. <laughs> so hard, let me tell you. And I felt, again, super guilty because I thought, is it more torturous now that it's injured, but it's still alive? So for the rest of the night, I heard mosquito buzzing sounds in my left ear and I was sure I was hallucinating. Okay, so let's talk about the actual meditation part. Vipassana is one of the many meditation techniques, just like genres of music or different types of yoga. Prior to Vipassana, uh, techniques from different apps, you know, involve watching your thoughts go by. So like... You're sitting on the side of the road and uh, there are cars that drive by you on the highway and you don't try to stop the traffic or hurry the traffic. Um, or the technique is, you know, you're counting numbers or repeating silently some mantra or scanning your body. The word Vipassana means seeing things as they really are. The first three days, we practice observing your own breath to concentrate the mind. 
we are to observe for sensations in the triangular area of the nose, like nostrils, the space above the upper lip and below the nose. Um, I won't go into the details of the technique because I can't explain it as well as the teacher and you should just do the actual course. Um, so it's, it's as if I'm explaining like properties of water to you. So for example, like water is liquid and if it gets boiled, it becomes you know, steam. And then if it cools, freezes down into solid, you know, we all like understand this. Um, I can tell you about the chemistry behind it, like draw diagrams, write formulas, and we can do this experiment together and watch it happens and understand. Um, the technique of Vipassana, I think it's very logical, methodical, and it doesn't involve any intellectual exercises like, you know, stories of Adam and Eve or, you know, in Eastern countries, like some person had a an axe and you know divided earth into like heaven and and hell you know things like that so it's all about self-observation looking inward developing insight and self-purification I think this is quite empowering rather than you know asking a god or a goddess or some thing you know to forgive you or to save you or to release you from your miseries I think the truth is that you can only you can do all of that and the only way to get there is to practice so say you want to learn like a martial art or how to paint uh, a painting or a sport I think Vipassana the course is as if you went on to a martial arts school or an art school or like a surfing camp for 10 days and you learn this technique and you're given the training um, and instructions on how to do those things. So, you know, you start with the basics like how to stand, you know, how to punch or how to kick and then or learn about colors and form um, or how to paddle, you know, how to how to get up and fall down. And then you slowly get more advanced, you know, you do the spinning sidekicks and the, you know, shading and diminishing lines and, you know, doing tricks and turns and barrels and etc. So, you know, the movie Doctor Strange, when he first begins to learn and train for his power, he puts his hands together and focuses his mind um, and sparks begin to form. And it's really weak and kind of goes all over the place like... (laughs) And then he eventually makes it stronger and, you know, makes that sparks bigger and then draws like portals to outside, you know, dimensions. I think that's kind of how I felt um, on like day three and four. That I was like making this little sparkly mustache, (laughs) like whatever I was observing my breath. Um, or watching for sensations in that area is kind of like magic. I know you're not supposed to, you know, visualize like anything or to silently repeat any mantras, but that's just kind of what it felt like to me. So on day four, you learn actual Vipassana, which is the next step after observing your breath, which is to observe for physical sensations from head to toe. You know, is it itchy, like painful? 
tense or tingling, numb, you know, hot, sweaty or cold, etc. And it's not things that you can just think about and create or like make it up. So, oh, I want to feel like tingling on my arm. You can't just like think that and like create it. It's really just watching for what's actually happening um, from moment to moment in real time. Of course, this is difficult to do sometimes because you can't feel any sensations and sometimes your mind is thinking about a million other thoughts. I thought about so many things in those 10 days. The past, the future, memories playing out like movies in my head, things I imagine that'll happen in the future play out in my head, actual scenes from actual movies and TV shows play out in my head. Uh, songs I sang to myself and the dreams at night oh my god there's not even a single moment where I didn't think about something the first day I asked the assistant teacher how do I not get tired or sleepy when I'm meditating and the second day I asked her how do I get tired at night so I can fall asleep the mind is such a beast that I think can be trained and I knew this from neuroscience when I studied it in university. It's such a coincidence that I majored in human cognition and behavior in school and learned about the brain and mind at an intellectual level and then nine years later I practiced it in the form of vipassana on on an experiential level. So going back to the water example, so we can you know, be chemists and perform the experiment of like water boiling into gas, condensing to liquid, freezing to solid. We can understand this phenomenon intellectually, but we can't and we don't experience the process because we're not water droplets in the tubes. So going further on this example, let's say a person is thirsty and someone can tell this person about why they're thirsty or the physiological and scientific properties of water and human body and why we need water etc and it's true that you know that every person who drinks water will quench their thirst Um, but unless that person who is thirsty actually drinks the water themselves nothing else helps them so similarly if you imagine I guess being thirsty is similar to being bound by life's miseries. I mean, most of us are fortunate enough that thirst is a relatively easy need to fulfill. We have other first world problems and needs that we want resolved. I mean, miseries are, you know, things that you want to happen but didn't or things that you didn't want to happen happened. Um, so I think thirst is like your miseries and then the water is like the meditation, but you got to dig for your own well to get the water sort of a thing. And that journey takes like a lifetime. That's kind of how I would put it. Before I went on this 10-day course, people asked me what I hoped to get out of it or what I expected from it. I really didn't have much in mind because 
I didn't look up or read up on others' experience because I didn't want it to skew my own. I thought it was going to involve a lot of crying for me. Um, and I secretly hoped that at the end, maybe I'll know the answer to where I want to open the hostel. <laughs> but that's not how this worked. Um, or at least that's how it seems now, which has been only two days after. But maybe there are you know, benefits and other insights and relations that will come in the future. I'll keep you posted. Um, I remember on the first four days, I had so many ideas for like business, for life and like creative things. And I really craved for pen and paper to write all of this down so I don't forget. But I think all the important things actually stay with you. So there's actually no need to do any writing. And all the things in life come and go, you know, arises and passes away and are really impermanent. Vipassana teaches to observe as they are, not how you would like it to be. So to just objectively observe without craving, without clinging, attaching or creating aversions towards pleasant or unpleasant things. I think it's possible to develop a strong mind to simply just to watch and see how long an unpleasant sensation will last because all things eventually will pass away. We're born, we die. Um, the law of nature is something we all understand but hard to apply to life. All of those inspirational quotes on social media, TED Talks, self-help books, therapy sessions, wide words from friends and family and neuroscience, everything I studied about the brain. Um, we all get it, but I don't think we're ever kind of taught how to get there or how to develop persistence, creativity, compassion, etc. Coming out of Vipassana, I feel like I've acquired a new tool in life, a tool that will help me get better at living life. I think it's a good skill to have. Probably the same reason why I chose to study neuroscience is not to go on to med school, become a doctor or research and get a job that makes a lot of money. I think I was genuinely curious about the mind and why we are the way we are. So things like sight, smell, taste, sound, touch there can be pleasant or unpleasant senses you know a beautiful scenery a terrible smell a tasty meal an annoying sound or a painful pinch similarly our minds can experience thoughts and feelings that are pleasant or unpleasant a sad memory a romantic daydream we develop wants and don't want and we multiply these feelings every time we think about them. Vipassana teaches to change the behavior pattern of the mind by practicing its meditation technique. When I studied neuroscience I was fascinated by how powerful our mind is and how crazy that it's a piece of muscle that can be trained just like any part of the body and how Merely just by being aware of your behavior is already a, a huge step in being able to 
change. And research, you know, shows so many benefits um, through thousands of experiments done, but none really talk about how to actually get there. So I think it just feels like my life has come full circle. Every evening from 7 to 8 p.m., we listen to the teacher's discourse uh, by Gyunka, the teacher. He speaks so much truth and wisdom with humor and stellar storytelling skills. He's very entertaining, and it's one of my favorite things about the course. The food was also really amazing, especially on day eight. I've never savored squash soup and chocolate cake like that in my life. I don't know if it's because by day eight, I had developed special powers or awareness about, you know, my surrounding or because of the food itself. It's probably the food because everybody said day eight was phenomenal. Of course, there were days where, you know, not all rainbows and butterflies, like literally and figuratively. Um, on day six and seven, I felt severe pain in my body and in my right shoulder. And I just remember silently repeating to myself, like, like things will pass away, <laughs> like arising and passing away, arising and passing away. On day five, I cried during a group sitting. Um, when all I could think about was every single goodbye I had said to the people on my travels, you know, the way their cars drove away or the way that I turned around and walked away without looking back. Um, and this was after asking the teacher if crying was generating aversion. Um, and she said, no, so long as you let the tears come and you just kind of watch it as it happens. And so I can't remember exactly what the rest um, of the things that she said, but I remember at that point I was like, okay, like it's, it's, it's time. <laughs> um, it only lasted for like five or 10 minutes. And the perception of time really changes during these 10 days and the days were so long. Um, but yeah, that was the only time I cried. On... Day 9 and 10, I thought a lot about dinosaurs. <laughs> when I was in the forest, I thought about, you know, this is how they lived. And they lived on Earth for millions of years. And, you know, what was their perception of time? And did they think about life? Did they have miseries? And, you know, why humans have such a short life and we torture ourselves with never-ending thoughts? And why Earth has been chosen to host all of these different species and organisms and that look like aliens, especially those underwater and how there must be aliens in the world, etc. To my surprise, I actually found myself smiling during most meditations, which was about four hours a day minimum. For someone with severe resting bitch face, <laughs> this was huge. Um, so for those who don't know, the resting bitch face is basically when I don't talk or smile, I look angry. Um, there were days also when I cheated and did some exercises in my room, like squats and apartment-friendly exercises from Vlogilates. 
there was also this little red cabin that was unnumbered. So all the cabins are numbered, so you know which room you've been assigned to. Um, and it was abandoned, and it was right outside of my cabin, and my door faces kind of straight at it. Um, and it's closer to the woods, and it, the sketchy thing, though, about it is that it was, it's propped closed from the outside with planks of wood to prevent it from opening from the inside. So for 10 days, I created the, this entire horror movie about it in my mind. And on the last day when Nobu Silence ended, and we're allowed to talk again, I asked one of my neighbors if she ever thought about it. And she said, have you looked inside? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> so anyway, we went up together and we looked inside and it's this room. It's, it's abandoned, you know, it's used for storage. But there was this chair <laughs> and the chair looked kind of new. And we're just like, why is this? Why is there a chair inside? Anyway, it's, it's a mystery. On day 11, we were given back our phones and people's chatting and laughing and everything was a bit overwhelming for me after all that silence for 10 days. The first audible sound I made, well, I went to the forest and I sang a piece of choir song from high school <laughs> I don't know why after that you know people ask how how it went and how you feel and I said I felt grateful again don't ask me why my dad picked me up and we drove home seeing the outside world and hearing sounds was very unreal for that whole day my mom said my skin was glowing I didn't turn on my phone's internet for two days after I got home. I wanted to do a lot of things before I opened the floodgates. One of which was to write about this experience and record this podcast. And when I first looked at my phone screen, my eyes felt really weird because the screen looked really strange. It's almost as if my brain didn't know how to process it. Since then, the course, um, I've done three meditations at home. There are resources for old students, so which are those that have completed the first 10-day course, to continue practice meditating at home um, with the audio or video clips, just like the ones that we had during the 10 days. There's actually this official app, too, that gives you all of that. Um, at last, I want to thank the 12 servers that cooked for me and 149 other students during this course, making everything so calm and smooth. And I want to thank Inga and Asmi for telling me a few times that I should do this and for answering all of my questions before I went. Um, so this sounds all really happy and wonderful. So you might ask, like, how much does it cost? It's all by donation, and it can be in the form of money or your service. 
so you can volunteer for the future courses. During the course, the teacher always said, work patiently and persistently, patiently and persistently, work diligently and continuously, and you're bound to be successful. So if you'd like to know more, you can Google Vipassana, that's V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A, or go to their worldwide website at dhamma.org, which is D-H-A-M-M-A dot O-R-G. Um, yeah, so friends, if you have any comments or questions, just message me, and strangers, you can DM me on Instagram at the Hostel Journey. And... Um, yeah, so the website looks like it's from 1998, but it actually works really well. And the app is great too, for any old students that are wondering. So I hope you've enjoyed today's story. <laughs> and on the next episode, I want to tell you about the most unique entrepreneur I've met on this hostel journey. She is inspiring the most unexpected ways. I've told her stories many times to friends after I've come home. It's the first story that comes to mind when people ask me about this trip. So stay tuned. And in the meanwhile, remember to live today well. <laughs>